debated about showing that video because um, it was going to basically ruin my entire introduction uh, for the next three weeks. Um, but Brenda can attest to this, that the doctrine of adoption, what David Platt briefly talked about, has been on my head and my heart for well over a year now, as I've been spending so much time looking at, at, at God's Word, looking at other resources, just being kind of overwhelmed with all of this. And just as he alluded to in the video, we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at what is called the doctrine of adoption and why that is so important for us as the church. And some of you are probably saying, what, why is that so important? What, what, it, isn't it just the adoption of children? Isn't that what we're talking about here? It's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's a theme in the Bible that runs from the beginning to the end, and I would say it's before the beginning. And in, sh- in short, the doctrine of adoption is God's adopting us into his family. That's in very, very short. And it feels near impossible, but I want to give you just a brief, brief run-through of adoption. I mean, it, it, think of just earthly adoption. We see there's two parties involved, right? There's the orphan and there's the adoptive parents. We see an, an orphan who, who does not have the power or authority or the ability to change the state that they're in. They, they don't have control over that. They are in the state that they are in as orphans. And you have an, the adoptive parents who have the, the means to adopt this child. They have the ability to, to adopt this child and and though there's a lot of red tape in our culture and society and legal system to jump through, to go from, to adoption, it's still the desire of the, the parents. It's the parents who decide this. And in short, the doctrine of adoption is describing that we were orphans, that we were the ones without hope. We were the ones without a family, and it's God who adopted us. And it's not just an analogy that we use. This is the exact words that God uses all through Scripture, from the beginning to the end. And we're going to read many of them through the next three weeks. I want want to show this from Genesis to Revelation. I want to show you the centrality of this to the gospel. That this is God's adoption of us as his children is the gospel. We're going to look at how each member of the Trinity is so deeply involved in our adoption as God's children. And then there is absolutely application to this that we're going to look at. And how, how do we apply this to our lives? What do we do with all this? But this is so much more than a sermon. It's so much more than a series on the need to adopt children. It's so much more than that. I think that both of those that all of this over, should overflow into a desire to love and to care for the orphan. But the big picture of this is so much more than just a, a plea for us to adopt children. Because long before we ever get to that point, each one of us, we've got to know what it means to truly be a child of God. Before we get there, we have to understand what it means that we were adopted into the family of God. Again, most of you probably weren't aware, and honestly, I wasn't aware until fairly recently that November is National Adoption Month. That November 11th 
is called Orphan Sunday. I, I, when we scheduled this series to be starting today, months ago, had no idea. Like, you guys should know us better than to think that we can plan out something that well. Like, this, probably less than a month ago, I was like, Brenna, did you know that November's National Adoption Month? Like, what is going on here? I think there are no accidents. Let me just start by reading a quote from John Piper. He says, The deepest and strongest foundation for adoption is located not in the act of humans adopting humans, but in God adopting humans. And this act is not just part of his ordinary providence in the world, but it is the very heart of the gospel. It's a big claim, right? That it's the heart of the gospel. The gospel, the one thing that unites us as Christians. It's the one thing that unites us. That Jesus died on behalf of sinners. That we can be reconciled to God. That we can be made a part of his family. I'm going to show you. I think that God's adoption of us, that his making us sons and daughters, was the end all goal. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Actually, let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to kind of camp out in both of those places this week at least. I just want you to know how hard it was after a, probably over a year of looking at all this and studying this to get this into three bite-sized sermons. Like there is so much more. We're probably going to go long today, just warning you. But like it's been really hard as I've spent so long studying this. I've got a new book collection because of this. <laughs> my, my wife just rolls her eyes. But just know that it's been really tough to get this down into three sermons. So I want to start by just by reading Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. And the fact that Tanner spent time here last week, I think, really just kind of cemented that this is where I was going to start. Because if we don't understand our spiritual state as orphans, if we don't understand where we were, our hope without Christ, if we don't understand that, we're never going to fully understand what it means to be adopted as a child of God. So I just want to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Again, it's going to get really heavy for a moment. Like, what is this saying about our, our state? Who we are? Apart from Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Following the spirit that is alive in this world. By nature, children of wrath. Like, all that's a description of who we are at the core. Like, we worship the creation Instead of the creator. Because of our sin, because of our death in Adam's sin and our continual sin to this day, sin is our nature. Like that's who we are. We were the ones in need of a new family, in need of a change in status. Like just think of Ephesians 2. This isn't saying, hey, you guys are all God's children, but you make some mistakes now and then. Hey, you were all God's children, but you mess up occasionally. That's not what Ephesians 2 is saying. It says, children of wrath, children following the world, children just doing their own thing, following the course of this world, by nature, children of wrath. 
these verses are describing our great need. Our great need for someone to come in and change our story. To give us a new story. A new hope that is outside of how this describes us. Again, not super light and fluffy so far. But if left up to our own, our story doesn't change. Our path doesn't change. By nature, children of wrath, following the course of this world. If left up to ourselves, this does not change. It's who we are. Let me put this in just real life for a second. There are over 20,000 orphans in the United States that age out of the foster care system every year. They age out of the foster care system every year. It means they, they turn 18, or in some states it means they turn 21, and the state says, all right, you're adults now. Go be adults. You're no longer children, so go be adults. 20,000 children who were able to be adopted were not adopted and told to go be adults. No family to run into. No family to run into when life is hard. They follow the course of the world. They try to survive. They go about following the course of the world because they have no family. Listen to these statistics. One in five of these 20,000 will become homeless after the age of 18. Only a half of them will be employed by the age of 24. Less than 3% will earn a college degree. 71% of young women will be pregnant before they're 21. One in four will experience PTSD. 50% will develop a substance dependence. Listen, this does not describe every single child who ages out of the foster care system. And yes, children that are raised in loving, nurturing homes can find themselves in these statistics as well. Absolutely. But for orphans that age out of the foster care system, these percentages skyrocket. The need for a family to step in and change the course, change the story for these orphans is huge. The percentages for kids that are adopted out of foster care fall right in line with that of biological children. Their chances to fall into those same statistics. I don't give these statistics just to try to elicit any sort of pity or anything for the orphan. My point is so much bigger. Because in this example, those orphans are in need of someone to step in, to make them a part of their family, to redefine their future, give them a new name, adopt them into the family. You and I, children of wrath, following the course of this world, needed someone to step in and redefine us, give us a new hope, a new future. Look back at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 14 verses in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him, we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. There's so much in there. Like, if you're ever looking for a good passage to memorize, a passage that says, wow, like, that's it. That's it. Let me, there's a lot in there. So let me just go back and read verses 3 through 5 again. 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Before the foundation of the world, in love, he predestined us for adoption. So let me spell out what I see here. It's that God's glorious plan his perfect and eternal will included the adoption of sinners into his family. Like, this was not plan B after Genesis 3, after sin entered the world, but plan A that flowed from the heart of God. Like, please hear what I'm saying in this, because I think that sometimes we have a very small view. We have a very small view of God, because it's easy to think that, man, mankind, we just fooled God. We, we messed up as plan A. That we, we cause God to have to revert to some lesser plan B. There's some arrogance, I think, in that line of thinking. God sending his son into the world to redeem sinners, to make them a part of his family, was not plan B. This was plan A. Look at verse 4 again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. It's mind-boggling when you try to think of this on a timeline. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us for adoption to himself as sons. Like, timeline of this, that's before the fall of Genesis 3. What we see is that God chose adoption through Christ as the way that he was going to display his glory to the world. To quote verse 6, to the praise of of his glorious grace. Listen, this causes like all sorts of like, seriously, mind-boggling. Wait, what does that mean for Genesis 3? What does that mean for, for sin entering the world? What does all this mean? I think that the answer to this question lies in the fact that God is working all things according to the purpose of his will. That all things are for the praise of his glory. And that our adoption in Christ fulfills that purpose. I think this is sometimes difficult because our society and our, our culture sees often sees 
Adoption is plan B. And I want to tread carefully here because adoption is often seen as what you do when plan A doesn't work. If you, if you struggle with infertility for some reason, or if there's battles that you're going through with that, that adoption is seen as like kind of the next thing you do, as what, does, what happens when plan A doesn't work. And I don't want to bring guilt upon anyone who may have started contemplating adoption when struggling with infertility. Like I believe like opportunities for adoption are a beautiful sign of God's grace to those hurting in the midst of infertility. Like, I don't want to be insensitive in any way in in saying that. But that's often how it's viewed in our culture. Like, if at any time and place, if God leads you down this path, praise God. But based on Ephesians 1, what I see is that adoption was God's plan A. Verse 4 again. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. As Christians, for Christians, this should be so encouraging that we are saved because God chose to save us because he loves us. Like, His love for us is not based on any external obedience. It's not based on any merit. It's not based on anything we could ever do. I just want you to think for a moment on a parent's love for a child. And I know there's many less than perfect parents out there and we might think that some are much better than others, but that's not the point. Imagine a soon-to-be mother, a soon-to-be father having a conversation with himself and saying, Man, I can't wait to decide whether I'm going to, to love this child. I can't wait till he earns that love. I can't wait to love that child as soon as he pulls his own weight until he makes me proud. Maybe as soon as he makes straight A's or maybe as soon as he can dress himself, then I'm going to love this child. Or maybe it's potty train. I don't know. But a parent's love for a child is not based on these things. It sounds ridiculous to say, and I know that there are various levels of hurt in this church when it comes to earthly parents. We all have different stories. We all have different backgrounds in this. And maybe me saying all of this brings up a lot of that past hurt. Hear me say this. God's love and provision for his children goes beyond any earthly parent. This is a quote that I don't even know who it's from, but it says, Our Heavenly Father's divine love is magnified in that He secured our eternal provision before any created thing was made. Speaking to Christians, like, do you feel the love of God in this? That He secured your eternal provision before the foundation of the world. That is love that he displayed. Again, adoption in Christ was always God's plan A. Spiritual orphans without family, following the course of this world, adopted into the family of God through Christ based on his love. We saw in Ephesians 1, 3 through 5 specifically. 
We're going to get more into this next week, but the full, all the Trinity is involved in this. God is Father, God, is, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All of this securing our adoption. I want to say something that seems a little off at first. But hear me out before you jump up here to shut me up. <laughs> what I see in Scripture is more than God just forgiving the sins of man by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Yes, that is the apex of it all. And Christ Jesus is the center of it all. But our forgiveness in Christ, our justification before the Father, is but one step towards God's plan of adopting us into his family. It's just one step towards ultimately culminating in us becoming the children of God. Listen, Tanner talked a lot through Ezekiel of like what we, what we would call regeneration. God, God gives us a new heart, breathes life into dry bones. We saw what God said, I'm going to give you a new heart, heart of flesh. We call that regeneration. Justification, another big word. Like when the blood of Jesus covers our sins, we're justified before the Father. One in a moment, we are justified. The legal demands no longer being on us. But again, this is not the end of the story. We're going to look at this more in depth next week, but look at Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It's probably two pages back. Galatians 4, 4 through 5. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive Adoption as sons. Our redemption is not the end. When we're redeemed, when we are forgiven, that's not the end. But it culminates in our adoption. Let me try to explain this more by just by reading something here. This is kind of a culmination, kind of a combination of multiple different quotes, and I changed it enough that I, I can't really give credit to anyone else, but not enough that I can take credit for it, so I don't know how to cite that. Andy might know. But these are not necessarily my words, but just listen to this. Our adoption into the family of God is the ultimate end. Salvation is not just God as judge sitting on a bench and declaring you forgiven of all your sins as if that's the end of the story. Yes, when your faith is placed in Jesus, regeneration and justification have occurred and God as judge forgives you of your sins. But the story is not over. God is not a judge who forgives and justifies a sinner and then only says, okay, go on, now live your forgiven life. No, that's not the end. The judge then rises from the bench, comes down to where you are and takes off your chains and says, come home with me as a son. Come home with me as a daughter. This is what our God does for us. All because he wanted us to be a part of his family, to display his glory. But now let me ask a question. Do we find ourselves relating to God as judge or as a father? How do you often feel yourself relating to God? For for those in the room that may not believe or may not follow Christ, how do you view God? Is it as a judge 
was it as a father? Because I'm afraid that many of us fall into a trap of seeing God as judge and only a judge and not as a father. We live out a large part, part, portion of our lives trying to convince God and make sure he keeps putting down the gavel and saying, you're still good. You've still done enough. You're still, you're still innocent. I think it's really easy to fall into that trap of seeing God as this judge, but not as a father. God is absolutely judge. Righteous, perfect, holy judge. But he's more than that. He's a father who declares us pardoned by the blood of Christ. Like, that is a one-time thing. A one-time gavel. A one-time thing. You've been justified. You've been saved. There is no more penalty. There's no more guilt. Colossians 1, 13-14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> this, is what, we, this is what has been done. Like in an instant, we go from sinners who are guilty before the throne of God to pardon sinners, adopted into the family of God as sons and as daughters. Because this has gripped me over the past months. Because this changes everything about our relationship. We see God as Father and not judge. It changes everything. Over and over, I've just felt God telling me, like, stop looking at me as a judge and just fall in my arms as the Son. Feel my love for you. There's so much rest in this that we don't have to earn our way back to Him as some sort of judge. We just get to rest as a child of God who He loved so much that He sent His Son. He chose to save before the foundation of the world. That's where Ephesians 2, 4 comes in. We read 1 through 3, but 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. That is love. Like This kind of unconditional, unmerited love is really hard to fathom. It's hard to understand what unconditional love is from a father means that we don't have to earn. Wednesday night of this week, the night before Bruno's family arrived, her and I were having a conversation on the couch. As both of you know, like Bruno, like both of our families live eight plus hours away. We see them a couple times a year, maybe. And Bruno and I were talking. I told her, I said, I just love seeing the way that you hug your parents. And her first response was, that's creepy. And I was like, maybe, maybe a little bit. But in trying to explain, I just like, I love how much comfort it brings you. Like, I see it. And I so love that for you. And I didn't ask for permission to use these words. But here's what she said. She said, it's really comforting because I know I am unconditionally loved by them. I don't have to prove anything. I know that I am safe in that moment. In that moment, I know that nothing can hurt me. This may or may not be your experience with earthly parents, but we have a God who loved us so much that it's not dependent on our love. It doesn't depend on us proving our worth to him. 
Because in the love of God, there is provision. There is safety. There is unconditional love that we could never earn. I want more than anything for us to feel what it means to be adopted as a child of God. To feel the freedom of resting in the arms of God as a son, as a daughter. The legal debt, that has been paid by Christ. Legally declared a son, legally declared a daughter. I'm going to have you listen to something in just a second as I give the sound guy a chance to get set up. I, I want to help you understand, like, what does this mean, this legal declaration to be a son? Like, this podcast is something I listened to back a couple months ago. And it's, it's a story of a family, of a, a couple that is struggling with infertility. They've been going through all sorts of ups and downs. It's been an emotional roller coaster. And they've gone down this process of adoption. And where we're going to pick up in this is at the day, the court date of when they're adopting their son. So go ahead and just listen to this real quick. Remember, it was October of 2006. We went, we drove back to Valparaiso, Indiana to have his adoption finalized. And we were there in front of this judge in our matching outfits, you know, and getting all our pictures with the judge. And then he, you know, puts his gavel down and declares him our son. And he gives us the papers and we leave. So he's driving, Griffin's in the back seat, and I'm reading these papers to him. And it says, on this date in October 2006, this court hereby declares that Griffin Anthony Fuller shall now be the heir of Robert and Heidi Fuller. And then it had a little clause that said, and shall be entitled to all the same rights and privileges as if he were their own natural child. And when I read that, there was something about it that just absolutely gripped me. And I start crying and Rob is crying. And next thing we know, we're pulling the car over because we can't drive (laughs) and cry. In that moment, salvation became clear. Like in that moment, that's like all I was seeing. I was like seeing the legal decree of my salvation that on this moment, you are entitled to the same rights and privileges as Jesus Christ. And that concept was so gripping to us that both of us, we just equally shared the same feeling. We just sat and wept in the car. Like, thank you, God. Thank you for this baby. Thank you for salvation because that's what you did for us. Through a physical, earthly adoption, that this family fully understood what it means to be a child of God. This is what makes adoption, earthly adoption, such a clear demonstration of the gospel. That's another quote. Adoption is the clearest example on earth of unearned acceptance and love by another family. Bestowing a new status and name that is unrelated to the previous one. It's a declaration of the gospel. Like it's a declaration of the gospel as God has adopted us through a legal decree as a judge that you are innocent. You are pardoned by the blood of Christ. Now you're a son. Now you're a daughter. Listen, there is a huge, huge need for adoption in this world, in this state, in this region, everywhere. There's over 130,000 children in the U.S. who are immediately adoptable, waiting for someone to make them a part of a family. 
What would it look like for the church? Big C church, little C church, families to say, yes, we're going to display the gospel to the world this way. We want to love the orphan just as God loved me. But listen, that kind of care for the orphan, that kind of love, just wants to bring an orphan into their family, display the gospel on a daily basis. That only comes when we understand our place as children of God, adopted by grace. We were the orphan. We were the ones in need. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the Beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. This is our anthem of past Christians. This is followers of Christ. This is our story. This is our declaration. This is what we want the world to see. We are children of God. He's made us a part of his family. And there's so much more we can get into. We're going to over the next couple weeks. But more than anything else, I want us to fully understand who we are as children of God. Because everything else, every way that we could live that, every way that we could display that, stems from our position as children of God. Like for those of you who are saved, like I want nothing more than for each one of us to fully understand what it means to rest in the arms of God as Father. Not, as, not just as judge, but as Father. He gave His Son for you. It was His will to make you a part of His family. But adoption is not just something to be understood. It's not just part of a theology that we should understand. But it's an understanding that should lead us to worship. should lead us to joy. Understanding that we God's children, that we didn't deserve this, but he's adopted us. I just can't think of any other way, any other thing that should make us want to worship anymore, to want us to fall on our knees, to raise our hands, because we are his children. But maybe you're sitting here and you're on, you feel like you're on the outside, you don't fully grasp this, you never felt what it means to have God as Father. I don't know everyone's story. I don't know the ins and the outs. But our God is going to extraordinary lengths to adopt sinners into his family. Like there is not one person who has outsend the grace of our God. Did you see what Christ has done? In him, we have redemption through his blood. Won't you fall into the arms of God, even for the first time? See him as father. See him as a father who sent his only beloved son into the world. Church, I invite us to respond in whatever way you feel led. But understand your place as a child of God. Rest in the arms 
of the Father. Let's pray.